Well, hello again. We're so glad you're with us today. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill Chapel, and we're just glad that you've joined us online as we continue in our series, Sinners and Saints. You know, one of the things that we see so often uh, in the pages of the Bible is we see people who are wrestling with questions, questions about God, questions about life, and even questions about why things happen the way that they do. And you know, I think you and I can relate to that because so often in our lives, we wrestle with those same kinds of questions. And when we do it, sometimes it's easy for us to believe that there's something wrong with us or there's something that we, we don't understand well enough and we should or we don't have enough faith or we don't have enough belief to do that. And today, as we continue in our series, I hope that you begin to see a different picture, not only of people who are just like us, but also of how God relates to you and I, how Jesus sees you and how he sees our situations. And today we're gonna to stop at three characters in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the story of Jesus, uh, who are named Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And the thing that's important to understand about all three of these, that these are people who loved Jesus, but these are also people who Jesus very clearly loved. But what we discover even about the people who love Jesus and the people who Jesus loved is that there are people in that category who carry heavy burdens. They walk through deep valleys and they have really big questions. You know, in our household, we have uh, two little boys, and it is just a great season of our lives, but we have entered the why phase. And some of you parents know what I'm talking about when I talk about the why phase. Everything is answered with why. I ask my son to do this, and the answer is why. And sometimes I give him a reason, and sometimes I say, you just need to do this. But we can relate to that on a deeper level for some of us who are adults, because some of our questions why are really deep and they're really significant. They're more pressing and they're more profound. We love Jesus and we believe that Jesus loves us, but we carry some big things. We walk in some dark places and some of us have some questions. And as I said earlier, what's tempting for us is in the midst of being in that place and carrying those kind of things, it's easy for us to begin to believe that maybe our faith is deficient Maybe if we just had more of it, or if we had a better version of it, things would make more sense and we wouldn't struggle with those things. But today, as we open up the pages of the scriptures, I hope that we begin to see those things a little bit differently. So today, we're going to read a lot. We're going to read in John, the gospel according to John, chapter 11, and beginning at verse 1. And it's the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And these are three characters who we see several different times uh, throughout the pages of Scripture. But this is a more difficult story, as we'll see in just a second. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So there's these three characters, these, these three siblings who we discover uh, live in a place right outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. It was just a couple miles outside. And as we read through the pages of Scripture, we discover uh, that this was a place where Jesus loved to go hang out. There's about three different scenes that happen throughout the pages of Scripture. And we discover that Jesus and his disciples, whenever they were doing anything around Jerusalem, they would stop at Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house. And we discover also as we read around the edges of the story that these three characters were really well known. They were probably relatively well to do and well off. We don't know everything about their circumstances, but we know that they were a group of people who Jesus really felt comfortable being around. And so he stopped by there often. And so he's enjoyed their hospitality. He stayed in their home, but now the tables are turned because they need his help because their brother, Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, has fallen ill. And what's interesting about the name Lazarus is it literally means the one who God helps. The one who God helps. And so we expect that once Jesus, having the relationship that he has, Knowing the things that has been said there, and the last verse where we know that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Think about somebody that you love a lot, and if you discover they're in trouble, what is the first thing that you do? You drop everything. You empty your schedule. You rearrange your calendar. You do whatever it takes to go to them, to be at their point of need. And so we're tracking with the story so far. But things turn almost immediately. Listen to what it says in verse 6. So when he, and that's Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Get this, folks. He loved them. He received their hospitality. But when they needed him, he stayed right where he was. Have you ever needed help like you're moving out of your house or you have a heavy piece of furniture or something like that and you say, I need help moving this thing. I just don't, I can't do it on my own. I need some folks to help me move. I hate moving and I hope I never have to do it again. But you call some people and there's always like one person who shows up afterwards or they let you know the day after they're like, hey, if you still need some help, I can help you. And you're like, well, it's already all done. That's what this feels like on such a bigger scale. It's like when you need it, you need it and you need it now. You need it in the moment, not later, not after things have gotten worse or they've become unrecoverable. And so we look at this and we say, why in the world would Jesus, who they loved, why in the world would Jesus, who loves them, why would Jesus stay where he is in the midst of this for a couple more days. And it's this tension that immediately emerges in the story. And I wanna give some of you who are listening or watching today, I wanna give you permission right now. You can have great faith and you can still be frustrated. You can have great faith and still have questions about why. 
You can love God, and God can love you, and you can still sit in the tension of the moment of not understanding why God responds sometimes, or it seems like maybe he doesn't, or maybe he's absent, or maybe he's inattentive. You can have questions about that, and you can still sit in that tension, and I give you permission to do that. But here's what I think happens with us when it comes to faith, is very often, we equate faith, our faith in God or our faith in people or our faith in circumstances, we equate it with outcomes, which is if I believe this, if I trust in this, then these are the things that should follow. If I do A and B, then God will do C. I don't know if you've ever like lost your keys around the house. I've, I do that a lot. And one of the great pastoral prayers that I pray is I'm like, God, just help me find this thing. You know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just, just help me solve my problem. And it's kind of silly there, but we've all done a version of that where we've bargained with God. God, I'll give more money. I'll go to church more often. You know, I'll go serve you in whatever way. Just please heal this person. Please meet this need. Please show yourself to be present in the moment. But I think where this starts to break down as we discover, and we're going to discover this as we go farther in this passage, that Jesus sees what faith is very differently than we do. What he calls us to is not about the outcomes. It's about the process. Later on in John's gospel, remember, John's the one who wrote everything we're talking about. He was one of the, uh, the eyewitnesses. He was one of the ones who was a bystander to this account. So he saw all this happen. And then later on, he wrote it down. Towards the end of this gospel in John chapter 20, uh, John kind of tips his hand as to why he's writing everything that's in here. And in verse 31 of chapter 20, John says this. He says, but these things, all these things, including the story that we're reading right now, where it seems like Jesus showed up too late and took his time, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And when we see this word believe, we're going to see this word a lot today. What it really means in its original connotation is it's more like trust. It's more like something that you're putting your weight down. You're putting the weight of your life on. It's something that you are trusting. It can bear the weight of your circumstances, of your life, of your belief, of even your questions. And so I want to point out a detail in what we've already read that's very easy for us to miss. And back in John chapter 11 and verse 2, we see this little parenthesis. And what John is doing is he's writing about the character of Mary. And he's talking about something. But here's what happens. He says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember, John is writing this looking back. He's writing this looking back with perspective. And this event that he's talking about actually happens later. It doesn't happen in this story. It happens in the next chapter, in chapter 12, after we're reading this account of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we discover that Mary 
is at the feet of Jesus in worship, pouring perfume and responding in this incredible way. And suddenly when we put things in order, we discover that this is her response to the story that's beginning to unfold. She's caught up in worship. She's caught up in that. And you know, when you read that story about her doing that thing with the perfume and dumping it on Jesus' feet, it just seems a little odd when it stands by itself. But when you put it in the sequence of events, it totally begins to make sense. And so we look back with the benefit of hindsight. We look back like John did. And we look at the story, and John says, I'm writing all of this so that you may have faith, so that you may believe, so that you may have life, and you may believe that Jesus is the one. But a lot of us don't live in that place, in the moment. We don't have hindsight. We're not at the point in our circumstances where we look back in worship and say, thank you, God, for how you organized my story. Thank you, God, for how you came through. Thank you, God, for how you were faithful. Thank you, Jesus, for that time where I cried out and I said, Lord, I love you and I know you love me and I need you to come through in this moment. And now I see how you all worked it together. So many of us in our lives don't have that chapter 12 perspective, that story of worship. We're living in the moment and in the middle of chapter 11, where it feels like we've cried out, we've prayed, we've hoped, we've even bargained maybe with God. And we feel like he's showing up just a little bit too late. And so this confusing story where Jesus loved them is right next to Jesus didn't come. Feels like your story. Your story with your loved one's illness, with their untimely death before you ever expected it. You prayed the prayers, and it still happened. Your story with your child and that relationship, your story of struggle, that huge loss, your questions, your frustrations. You know, if you could see how it all works out, if you could see how it makes sense, if you had the benefit of perspective like John does in this story, you could look back, but right now you can't. And this story that we're reading doesn't get easier because in the midst of all of this waiting, Lazarus, who was sick, dies. But Jesus, you said this won't end in death. But here we are. And so we skip ahead a little bit for the sake of time and we read on. And what's happened is Jesus is finally arrived, but Lazarus is already dead, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus had found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Remember, they were well, relatively well-known. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection, the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so it's impossibly difficult scene. We see the two sisters respond and struggle with the disappointment of what seems like Jesus showing up too late to do any good in this difficult situation where they loved him and he loved them and they needed him, but he just took his time. We see Martha gets up and she preempts everything and she, she goes out and she kind of confronts Jesus and she meets him on the road before he even gets there and she says, basically, Jesus, what, what, what were you thinking? If you had been here, things would not have turned out this way. And then we see Mary in quiet resignation in her grief who stays behind. But they both say the same thing. If you... And we see both of them clinging to, holding on to, trying to make sense out of the shreds of faith they have left. If you, through the tears of grief and loss, we thought that by associating with you, things like this would be different. Jesus you could have, but you didn't. And you and I, transparently, you and I, all of us, have at least a couple of if you questions for Jesus. If you had, if you had been there, if you had intervened, if you'd put a stop to that, if you had healed, if you had, been, if you had provided, if you'd been present, this thing would not have happened. We each have at least a couple of those questions. I'll be honest with you, I certainly have mine. We see Martha trying to do the right thing. It's almost mechanical. God will give you whatever you ask. You can feel the struggle trying to hold on to faith, but feeling so disappointed and so let down in the moment. And Jesus 
He says, your brother will rise again. And she doesn't really understand what he's talking about because she doesn't know how the story ends yet. She's in chapter 11, just like you and I find ourselves in chapter 11 in her life. And you know, for Martha, when she understands it that way, it it just feels like preacher mode. It feels like the preacher's come and he's like just talking about some of those vague platitudes that people say in difficult moments. Like, you know, he is in a better place or she is in a better place or even, you know, all things will work together for good. And you're saying, this isn't good. There's no good here. There's nothing but loss. I don't want a sermon. I don't want theology. I'm mourning. Martha says, in essence, I don't want to hear about the end of the story right now, because that's not where this is. That's not where I'm living. That's then, and this is now. I need something that can bear up under the weight of now. You and I can feel this. But that's where the response of Jesus is so profound. He doesn't talk about the future event. He doesn't talk about the theology. He answers in this very famous passage of Scripture. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And Jesus responds to your questions, to your struggles, to mine, the same way. He offers himself. He steps into the middle of that difficult, that fraught, that tension that we feel between loving God and knowing that he loves us but not understanding how it works. He steps into the middle of that and he offers himself. And in a way, it's not very satisfying because we don't get the answer that we're looking for, but I believe we get something different and I believe that we get something better because in a way, it's the ultimate answer. Jesus says, I can bear the weight of your struggle." I can bear the weight of the valley that you feel like you're walking through. I can bear the weight of your loss. That question, that frustration, that situation that's gnawing away at your faith, the thing that feels like it's just driving cracks through everything that you believe, that thing that leads you to a place that feels like a tomb. I can bear that weight, too. Jesus meets us there, not always with the answer, not with a theological preposition, but with himself. Not believe the right things, but believe in me. Put the weight of your trust in me. Walk with me. But then, in the story, we see something else, too. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And what follows is the shortest, the simplest, and the most profound verse 
in all of the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew how the story ended. Jesus had the ultimate benefit of perspective that nobody in the moment had, and still Jesus wept. He entered into the emotion of the moment. He didn't breeze past. He didn't offer thoughts and prayers or theological answers. He wept, and he stayed there in the moment. And Jesus' profound response for the Son of God to weep surely prompted one of the others who was standing there, a man named Peter, one of the other disciples, to later write the words that many of us know, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Then the Jews said, see how we loved him. But some of them said, could he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And this response paints the tension that we feel in moments like this when we encounter them in our own lives or when we see them in the lives of other people. See how he loved them. And couldn't he have done something about this? Jesus, I know that you love me, but why this and why now? And this is the entire span of our experience. On one hand, the goodness of God, and we sing so many wonderful songs about the goodness of God, and most of us can point to times in our lives where we've experienced and we've seen the goodness of God, but then on the other hand, there's the pain that we often feel. There's the questions that we have. There's the situations where we're asking, if you, Jesus, if you had been here, if you had done this, why didn't you do that? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. You know, there's a lot of people in this situation, in this scene, who, who believe that Jesus could do amazing things, but I guarantee you that when he gave this command to take away the stone, everyone gasped. Martha kind of sidles over to him and whispers, Lord, he's been in there a long time. This isn't going to go good. And you know what's under the surface of it is, Jesus, you're so late. You're so late. You could have, if this had been earlier, we know that you can heal. We've seen you do it, but it's so late. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, if you put the weight of your trust in me, you will see the glory of God. I want you to get this, and this is going to be hard to grapple with for some of us. Jesus didn't show late, up late in spite of his love for them. Jesus showed up late because of his love for them. 
Because if he had not, there's something that they and something that we never would have seen. Remember why John wrote this, so that we can see it and we can believe. Not so that our belief will be shaken, but so that our belief will be strengthened, so that we know that we can put the weight of our lives, the weight of our questions, the weight of our circumstances on Jesus. Because if Jesus had shown up at the sickbed of Lazarus, they might have seen a healing, and they'd seen healings before. But when he shows up at the tomb, it means that there's something they haven't seen before that they're about to see. There's something that they have not seen before that they're about to experience. They're about to discover just how far the love and just how far the power and just how far the presence of God can go. Because you see, in Jewish culture, there was a superstition, there was a myth. We discover in some of the other literature that was written around the same time of the Bible, and it was this, it was this idea that the spirit of a dead person, and this is you know, not in Scripture, this is just like a cultural folklore myth that they had in Jewish culture. The spirit of a dead person hovers around them for three days. This is day four. And so he's really dead. Nobody is holding out any hope. They're not holding on to the myth. You know, sometimes when things seem like they're going really bad, you just kind of grasp for whatever can help you try to make sense of it. That's all gone. It's really like too late. Jesus, remember what he said though earlier in that profound, famous verse that many of us have heard. He doesn't say, I am the healing. You know, Jesus can heal and does heal. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just say, I can fix this. He says, I can raise this. And so we know that we're about to see something that we haven't seen before. But for you and I, to live there. You and I, to live in that kind of a place, it takes more than hope. It takes trust. It takes more than looking at the outcomes of our life and our circumstances. And when they line up, we trust. But when we don't, we struggle. It takes more of that. It takes us placing the weight of our lives, of our questions, and even our frustrations on Jesus. It's like stepping onto a bridge over a chasm, not knowing if it can hold you, but doing it anyway. Because that's what trust really is. And so the story concludes, verse 41. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, 
take off the grave clothes and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, they believed they were coming for a funeral and instead they'd seen something that they had never seen before. Many of the Jews who'd come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed, there's that word again, believed in him. And these people who believed, it's the same idea that we've seen throughout. It's the same word. It's the same concept. They trusted and they placed the weight of their lives on him. And as we begin to close this confusing, ultimately triumphant, but complex account where we feel in our hearts and in our lives and in our emotions and in our past and even in our present experiences, these same kinds of tensions. Jesus, why don't you? If only you had, if only you would. In this moment, I want to encourage you to do something that I believe is very difficult but has the power to change not only your faith, but your life. And it's this, pursue Jesus more than an outcome. You know, what we ultimately do is with our faith, and we talked about this a little bit before, is our faith is connected to the outcomes. We believe, if, you know, we believe this and we do this and we show up at church this many times and if we do the right things, there's certain things that should happen in our lives and many of us have experienced when those things don't and it rocks our faith. What I want to encourage you to do is what Jesus places before Martha and Mary and Lazarus to pursue Jesus himself the resurrection and the life more than the outcome. Trusting that Jesus can take the dead things in your life and he can breathe life into them. He can do things that you've never seen before to have that kind of faith, even when it's mechanical like Martha, even when it's difficult to understand like Mary. The step in the direction of that kind of faith. That the destination is Jesus. The destination isn't an outcome. Pursue Jesus more than an outcome. But here's the other part. Pursue Jesus regardless of the outcome. Pursue Jesus regardless of the outcome. You know, for some of us, We've seen the mighty hand of God. We can relate to Mary in chapter 12, looking back at the events of chapter 11, and it's easy for us to see the faithfulness of God and be caught up in worship. But for some of us, there are the questions that will linger. If you, if only, Jesus, if that had only been different, if you had only been here. One of the greatest acts of faith that you and I can do is to trust in Jesus regardless. To put the weight of your questions, the weight of your life, the weight of your circumstances on him. 
not on a belief system, not on a set of doctrines or theological statements, but literally on the person of Jesus. Because Jesus can bear that weight. Hope in the outcome, even the best outcome can't. And remember that verse, why John wrote all of this that we're now reading, so that you and I might do the same thing. Believe and have life, the fullness of life, even in the valleys, even in the struggle, even when it looks like death, even in the midst of our chapter 11s. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you, and some of us, uh, it is the greatest act of faith because we know the situation. We don't even need to think about it. It's a struggle that's at the forefront of our minds and on the tips of our tongues and in the tears that we shed and in our alone moments, the end of the day, the middle of the night. So I pray for each person who is watching or listening, would you allow them to cast that on? Say, Jesus, I don't understand because I have a lot of questions and if you had only done these things, this would look so different. But I trust you that you can bear the weight of the place I find myself. I trust that you love me, even when it's hard to figure out how that all works. I trust that I love you, even with all the questions. That doesn't diminish my faith. It makes it more real. And I do pray, and we do pray for the day, the chapter 12 day, when we can look back and worship and see how you've always been at work, even when we haven't seen it in the moment. But until then, we trust you with the outcome. We trust you more than the outcome. And some of us even trust you regardless. Help us walk forward in faith. Give us the power by your spirit to do that day by day, moment by moment. May we know your presence and know your peace. We thank you that you have accounted for all this in the scriptures so that we may believe and have the fullness of life in your name. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.